everybody. Um, this is Ian Williams. I'm president of the Foreign Press Association in New York and we're joined today by my old friend and companion Ron Howell. Uh, when I knew him he was working with Newsday at the United Nations and we actually went on a trip to Cuba together at a time when very few people got to Cuba with the embargo. Uh, we arranged a UN correspondence trip there and um, went around the countryside, had some memorable experiences uh, and rum. <laughs> and um, uh, we've, it, it was memorable in many, many ways, but he's also, it was also memorable because Ron, uh, being prominent in the Black Journalists Association, being prominent in covering Brooklyn, worked for Newsday, worked for AP, distinguished record as a foreign correspondent in other places. And for many of us in, even uh, a lot of American journalists, I think that Brooklyn and Al Sharpton are a foreign country. So he, he was reporting from the frontier there. And his biography of Al Sharpton is uh, just finishing it. It was very sort of objective. Um, he resisted the temp he's resisted the temptation to lionize um, Al Sharpton and is also resisted the temptation to demonize him. But it's not just about Al Sharpton, as uh, Ron explained when I first spoke to him about this, it's about the New York media and the black media and the white media and how they treated Al Sharpton. And uh, the interesting thing was Al Sharpton, in a way, he's a black Donald Trump. The media were making fun of him and he, lion, he managed to get them to lionize him. He exploited all their weaknesses. He knew uncannily how to get there. There was the old joke about one of the shortest units of time in the universe was the time between a TV camera being switched on and Al Sharpton appearing in its vicinity. Um, and there was some truth in that. And, but that was the sort of media savvy which many people actually needed in the, in the black movement at the time. And he spoke up on causes which were unpopular, and some of which, um, as uh, Ron hints, were not exactly true. The Tawana Bradley case being a, uh, being, a, being a case in point, but he was triumphantly vindicated over the Central Park uh, Jugger case, for example. So, you know, he's a very mixed bag, and the media, the way they treated him, is extremely important, especially for outsiders who. It's always difficult for those of us who come from other countries to appreciate just how central race is to the American political experience. Uh, we've seen an experience of that today when uh, Whoopi Goldberg misspoke, so-called, over the Amnesty International report and other things and uh, uh, made stuff that for most people in the world would seem like eminently good sense, but obviously offended somebody's sense of theological precision. And then she had to grovel for it. Did she have to grovel? Well, she did. Um, Al Sharpton is not one for groveling, as Ron points out in the book. He's more a case of, um, he, he, he subtly slips in quasi-apologies and suggests that maybe it wasn't as clear cut as he thought at the time. But I don't, don't, well, that's a good point for you to come in, Ron. Did he ever apologize when he got it wrong? 
Uh, interesting re reflection. I, I appreciate uh, you're asking me to be here, uh, Ian. It's a pleasure. Um, you know, over time, uh, just so much, uh, you know, fades in the recesses of your memory. Of course, I'll always remember you in our uh, connections at the uh, UN. Has Sharpton ever apologized? It is, um, being a human being, just a, a human, of course, there are going to be times when he said, oh, I'm sorry about that, referring to something that he may have said a moment ago. But the fact is that apologies do not stand out in um, the um, in uh, one's um, just sense of his nature, uh, no. And uh, even if you take the Tawana Brawley case, when many people consider that to be slam dunk in the sense of, um, you know, the point was scored when, well, let's Pain uh, then with Newsday wrote the uh, story, essentially making the case. Someone would say without any uh, question that that story was made up, that it was, um, you know, fabricated. And um, and most of those who went along back then have conceded that, yeah, it was just wrong. You know, it was just wrong. And uh, and Reverend Al, uh, to an extent, is is surprised me when I started to uh, chat with him over the past years, back and forth, mostly texting. And um, he did not seem to uh, ever be apologizing for that. He he would hedge and say, uh, you know, the closest he would come to it is that those who were advising him especially Alton Maddox, who he became, um, you know, distant from uh, over uh, recent years. And, uh, you know, you can see some tensions there uh, between the two of them and would essentially say, well, whatever I got was from um, Alton Maddox. And so to the degree that there are apologies to be given, it should be Alton Maddox. Um, but the fact remains that the the story, the case, the um, the charges of uh, you know just fabrication, uh, the uh, you know character assassination that were filed by those who had been um, said to have been the rapist by Reverend Al and his partners in that um, episode that went to um, a court uh, in the 1990s and it was decided against them and the decision stood and the decision stood and Reverend Al had to pay money. Um, of course, he at that point in his life paying, you know, even hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands certainly was not that much to him, you know, so by the late 90s he was um, you know, given the uh, association with the Donald Trump that you mentioned, you know, rolling in cash might not be the proper word, but, you know, given the realities of America, of, of, of Black America, yeah, he's considered, um, you know, well uh, off. And he, um, you know, he paid his due or others paid 
for him. But he didn't come out and contest it and say, we're going to take this to the Supreme Court. And um, just about everyone would say there's no way you could have won uh, if you did that. So for many people, it's the Tawana Brawley uh, episode that stands out. And that, um, you know, I quoted someone in the uh, Ernest Tollison, who was an editorial writer, um, edit editorial at page editor with Newsday, and then uh, went to the editorial pages of the uh, New York Times. And he said that's what stands out most for him, that he overcame what, uh, you know, you might consider the challenge, the episode of, of, uh, of Tawana Brawling. And uh, he really did come through, but there's so much more really that- um, But he that, was looking- that, that really overcome. At the Central Park Jogger case, he was triumphantly vindicated in a way. They, they, you know, he, he was espousing another, what the mainstream media considered to be a hopeless cause with a few alternatives. And he, you know, he, he knew the system at least, and he knew that these kids had been set up yes. and disputed. You know, the, the rest of us, even, even as dubious ones, tend to give extra credence to police evidence. And he didn't. He knew that the police made things up <laughs> for various motives, either professional advancement or, you know, racist prejudice. Uh, but they made things up regularly, and they forced people to go along with their fictions. Mm -hmm. But the truth is that there were um, others too, especially in the black community who uh, did not accept um, the um, charges against the, um, the five black boys who were accused of, of raping the uh, uh, white woman who was the uh, Central Park uh, jogger. Uh, but I do have a, a scene in the book where yes, Sharpton is sitting there in court uh, with them. Um, there are um, a couple of things that you could say that uh, could be seen as a sort of reflection of Reverend Al's nature, character. And one is that it came right after Tawana Brawley and that he was um, looking to assert his you know, credibility um, with the black community, especially. Um, who had long felt that black men accused of white, of, 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 of victimizing white women sexually uh, stood no chance whatsoever. So in that sense, it was almost a perfect um, case for Reverend Al to be jumping um, into. Uh, it doesn't seem to me he was always front and center uh, on it. Um, I point out in the book that around that time, there was, um, and, and this is what stood out, because I do have a chapter on, um, you know, the, um, you know, the um, racist tendencies of the white media that existed as strongly in the 1980s as they were in the 1950s. And it had to do with uh, the rapes of black women, the everyday women. And that's why so many people were upset with Tawana Brawley. I mean, there are so many cases, instances of, of black women being sexually assaulted. You know, why pick one that had so many holes in it? And, um, you know, and it was known for the number of uh, holes that he had uh, in it. But after- That's the, the point you make, isn't it, about the, 
the attention lavished on uh, deservedly because it was an extremely sad case for the woman involved, of course. But uh, the, the the white banker who was raped and it makes headlines and runs for months and months, and you know, the sort of weekly score of uh, black and minority women who are raped and murdered, and they hardly make the police blotter, let yes. alone headlines. Yes, yes. And I mention in the book the case of the black woman in um, in Brooklyn who around that very time was um, was raped. And not only raped, but she was uh, pulled onto uh, a, she was on a roof and thrown off the roof. And it was black men, so there wasn't the racial aspect to it, but it was ignored by the media. And the one black activist who really stood out with that was not Reverend Al, it was um, uh, Reverend Herbert Daughtry, um, who's an interesting character because he never came out. Uh, recently and it expressed, um, you know, certainly not jealousies, but resentment over <laughs> Reverend uh, Al receiving the attention in this book. Cause I, I think Reverend Daughtry feels that there should be a book about Reverend Daughtry, um, <laughs> you know, and with some justification, but of course he doesn't have the um, uh, balancing baggage that Reverend Al has that makes him so interesting. But it was uh, Reverend Daughtry who, <laughs> was uh, conducting demonstrations every day about the uh, black woman who was thrown off the roof. And he even, uh, he, he just, he would say at, uh, as he was marching and uh, chanting, and it was picked up by the Amsterdam news. You know, we mentioned the, uh, the black press and they went with it and made the case that, uh, listen, Donald Trump, you're so interested in, and, 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 and willing to take the position of uh, uh, or defense of women who are uh, assaulted. Why not these women? And actually, Trump wound up showing up and apparently contributed some um, uh, money to uh, her representation, her uh, uh, legal representation. Um, but that's Donald that. Trump was anticipating his current form as well, of course, because he paid for a full page ad calling for the immediate conviction and execution of the Central Park Juggers. Yes, yes, the trial. <laughs> yes, and of course that was used, um, you know, against him. Um, it was such a fascinating uh, time. And then of course the, um, the Juggers were eventually found to not have uh, carried out that uh, rape, um, been guilty um, uh, of it. Um, and it became a movie and but the fact is that um, this has existed throughout time, um, especially just the um, putting aside of, of black uh, women. I certainly felt it when I was at the Daily News and I, I point that out. And um, I mentioned that I was at a, um, a bar. I was uh, actually a Harlem bureau chief. Uh, they were just establishing the uh, um, uh, bureau in uh, Harlem, and I was there, and I was out um, back then. I would have uh, beer, some well, in any event, I would stop at a bar, <laughs> and, a bar in Harlem, and it was chatting uh, up, you know, with just about everyone there. You know, what better way to learn about the community that you're covering? And uh, and they mentioned that one of their barmaids had been um, killed, murdered. Um, 
and that they knew who the murderer was and no one was interested in the case. And it had happened just a couple of days before. And, uh, and I went to the Daily News right away and said, I have to do this. I have to do this. And what struck me was that there was so little interest in, the, um, in that case. Um, that was the where you mentioned that your photographer wanted to know why he was being sent out on such an inconsequential story. It was a photographer, and I had learned about it from someone else in the newsroom who spoke with me on the phone and said that uh, they had been, uh, you know, there had been complaints that uh, photographer had to go because there was really nothing to it. I mean, why did a story like that matter? You know, it wasn't a. Uh, uh, someone working on Wall Street who happened to have been white, of course, you know, they wouldn't come out and, and say that, but, um, you know, that was the, and, um, but I'm proud of myself for having stayed with it um, uh, because I did interview the son and learn that the fella who had killed her and beaten her to death with a lamp uh, had been a boyfriend and was angry because she wanted to break up the uh, relationship. And then he just fled, you know, and um, and to, to its credit, at least the Daily News ran the stories. And I got a call from one of the prosecutors in the Bronx, and one of them said, listen, we don't necessarily cover, cover every nickel and dime uh, murder. <laughs> But they became embarrassed by the story and they wound up going after and they found uh, the killer in, um, uh, I believe it was Virginia and brought him back and he stood um, trial and was uh, convicted, you know, and I was very proud uh, of that. And, uh, and it was before Al Sharpton's time. So, you know, no way he would have uh, been able to play uh, a role in that. But, um, you know, that's the age we were living in. And in many respects, you could make the case that things have changed, yes, but um, in a measured way. Um, and it's still true. And people pointed that out regarding sexual assaults and, and Black women with the case of uh, R. Kelly. R. Kelly, the rapper, who had been assaulting Black women all through, you know, what, the late 90s and early 2000s. And it wasn't until recently, after so much attention, including a book by a journalist whose name I'm not recalling now. And I think I did mention him in the, yeah, the book, as a matter of fact, yeah. And, um, and, 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 and that was brave because he was standing alone, the, the fellow, and it was a white journalist uh, who wrote that, you know, about R. Kelly, but it, it eventually accomplished what clearly deep down inside he wanted um, just as, as a moral uh, impulse. Uh, to uh, happen, and, and Kelly was arrested and convicted, but just last year, just last year. Um, so this is an ongoing um, thing. And, but you also uh, mentioned Al um, and others cheerleading for Mike Tyson on his... Uh... Yeah, and, um, you know, uh, with the Black community, there's always a a tendency or, or a willingness, you might say, even if it's sometimes a little suppressed to identify with a black man who's, who's, who's well-known, has overcome challenges himself and who's accused um, of, um, you know, could be, you know, improper conduct, criminal uh, conduct. In this case, it was the um, 
a sexual assault by uh, a black woman, which is different. And there were many black women who were very, very upset with Al Tyson for that, and obviously. To, and they were upset with Al Sharpton and others in the black community uh, for standing with uh, Mike Tyson, including the editors at the Amsterdam um, News, um, who uh, really vilified some of the uh, black uh, women journalists who went after, including one black woman journalist who was conducting um, protests against. Um, and that was Jill Nelson. Yeah. Jill Nelson protests against uh, Mike Tyson when he was uh, released. And what some in the black community wanted to do was say, you know, we welcome Mike Tyson. We don't accept, you know, we think maybe this woman was put up to it, you know, to try to, um, you know, uh, put him into uh, his place. Um, but um, I think you know, that's common the most. That yes, that, 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 that rape had been, this assault of the black woman had been committed and a lot of black women were very offended and they were upset with Reverend Al uh, for staying with, um, with Mike Tyson on it. But so that's part of the uh, story in the episode uh, too. And, and Jill Nelson felt that she was very much um, well abused and, and still hurt by it, by it. And when we're talking now 20, what, 25 years later. Yeah, to the point where she didn't, when I tried to talk with her, she didn't really want to have much to, to say about this topic, the topic of Reverend Al because of uh, that, yeah. Well, beleaguered communities often close ranks. If you know that you're, if 90% of the time accusations are false, then you tend to give the 10% who aren't uh, some credence, uh, which you wouldn't do otherwise. I mean, you can see that with, with lots of communities. Mm -hmm. I remember I remember the sort of Italian mafia types used to turn up at the UN to defend Italy's case for a security council seat. <laughs> they probably yeah. carried the violin cases and put them on the podium. <laughs> yeah. 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 Because they regarded it as an insult. Italy should yeah. be on the security council. Why? Because yeah. I'm Italian. And you know, Cosby must be innocent because he's black and I'm black. You know, it's there's, there's a tendency all the way through uh, to, to close ranks uh, on yes. on details like this. Yes, 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 yes. A marvelous uh, story. I, um, you know, I could go uh, on. Well, I guess I will then, if you, uh, you know, <laughs> are fine with me. I, I see. I don't want to ignore what's in the chat, but you see it. And if there's anything that you need to pass along to me, please do. Sure, we'll do it right away. Um, you, you tell me. Uh, in the meantime, oh. you, you read it while I'm just going off. Um, there are just so many aspects to the Reverend Al's uh, story. Um, you know, I had thought at one point that what it might be called is the greatest story uh, ever told. But then again, that's about Jesus Christ and the, uh, you know, and while he's a, a, a preacher, yes. Um, and uh, as, you know, um, many would say, and even in the black community, yeah, but he's not a true preacher, but the fact is he's a certified and has been, you know, for decades, a certified uh, 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 preacher. And um, yeah, it um, it is a matter of, um, you know, truth telling and saying, you know, um, what drew me to Al Sharpton um, at the very beginning, um, and it's necessary to point this out, uh, was that um, 
it happened that around the time the Tawana Brawley story was, you know, just happening before it was, um, you know, um, revealed and uh, Les Paint story to be a hoax. Um, I was uh, at Newsday and because I had a background in Latin America, I had lived in Mexico and, and was comfortable speaking Spanish, um, Les Payne was uh, over the foreign desk, uh, had me go to Cuba and uh, we did a, a very significant story um, at that moment. And it was about, uh, it was to, it was an interview that we arranged with Joanne Chesimar, who, um, known by the name she had adopted, Asada Shakur. She considered herself and was considered by those, you know, who had been loyal to her, a black revolutionary and had been convicted in the 1970s in the um, killing of a police officer, in New, a state trooper in New Jersey, which she denies to, to this day, but she was convicted and sentenced to prison. And, 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 a, and, a, and a group of revolutionaries broke her out of prison. What a, an incredible uh, tale that was. And no one knew where she was. Well, I mean, she knew where she was, of course. And there were some, uh, you know, who, um, uh, of course, who kept it completely to themselves who knew where she was. But in general, certainly among the public and even the law enforcement community, and I would say the FBI too, intelligence, they did not know until. I went there and interviewed her and spent a week with her uh, traveling around Havana and then came back and wrote a piece about um, Asada Shakur. And, uh, and you know, just the, the, the changes that, you know, just the fact that she was there in Cuba and the fact that she had survived all these years, because people just wondered uh, what, you know, she was just kind of missing. And it was within the next year that several uh, fellas, and they were all guys, as I recall, approached me and said that, listen, we have strong suspicions that Al Sharpton was approaching us as he did in the early 1980s because he wanted to find out where Asada Shakur was and turn the information over to the FBI. And at first it seemed you know, very startling. Um, but given that Newsday around that time was had been doing stories saying that he had in fact been cooperating with the the FBI on a number of things having to do he with was wired. Uh, he was making he, he was tapped, he had his phone wired he had his briefcase yes. wired <laughs> having to do with Don King who you know talk about you know boxing you know he was uh, into boxing as a, as a promoter and. Um, and so that was my, in a sense, connection, other than just doing a couple of stories, you know, you know, on the ground, <laughs> helping out in, in New York City, um, because as I said, my, you know, real job was, you know, at that point with the foreign desk, um, you know, there rose a pretty, within the black radical community, a strong, strong suspicions and hostilities towards uh, Reverend Al. And uh, that was the, um, the root, uh, you might say, of my connection uh, to him, um, including the fact that in 2014, when um, William Bastone came out with all of this information he had gotten from Freedom of Press, um, 
And he had previously also revealed photos of some of the encounters, the FBI, the meetings they had with him in the, in the early 1980s. And, and it just struck me how kind of fearful, which is so uncharacteristic that Reverend Al looked, you know, in those meetings of, uh, with the FBI. But I wrote a piece um, interviewing one of the fellas who was close to Asada Shakur, lying low all the time, but said without a doubt in his mind that Reverend Al was trying to uh, get him to reveal to Sharpton where uh, Asada Shakur uh, was. Now, once again, it's, um, you know, is part of uh, an amazing story, you know, um, you know, Reverend Al's uh, rise from, you know, so many, um, you've sketched it out there so you had the significant proportion an influential proportion of the black community were regarding him as a traitor and a police spy you had the mainstream white media regarded him as a, a rabble-rousing buffoon yes his, and even the mainstream white media <laughs> saw him you know uh, even though some of them, the police reporters might have, you know, liked the fact that he was working with the FBI, many Americans, uh, you know, uh, would have, especially to capture someone who killed, a, you know, uh, uh, allegedly killed, uh, yeah, allegedly <laughs> killed a cop because she told me, as I said, and um, you know, I did not investigate it that uh, that way, but that, um, you know, that, um, yeah, that that was the um, the case, but uh, he. Uh, you know, wound up surviving uh, all of that because Newsday did this story. <clears throat> and, um, you know, I point out in the book <clears throat> that a lot of the reporters on that story, they were Irish Catholics because that's sort of what defined uh, tabloids, so especially the, uh, the Daily News <laughs> in uh, Daily News. And it was kind of waning at that point, but it certainly was the uh, the case through the, the mid, uh, you know, 1950s and on into the end of... Um, the uh, the century uh, the 20th century and um, and they, they were the ones who did the um, the uh, blockbuster piece saying that Al was working with the feds and that he had a, a wiretapped phone in his um, office um, now that um, made a lot of people wary you know uh, including many who had been marching uh, you know, with him, and then it made many angry, especially those who considered themselves uh, black revolutionaries. But the incredible thing is the extent to which he has beaten even that. You know, and um, well, he's, he's an advisor to Obama. He's an elder statesman, revered and unconsulted on public on occasion. Uh, I think even Giuliani's kissed him, made up with him, hasn't he? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's kind of hard to tell with Rui. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm not trying to want he's to... It's been said that he has dementia or, or whatever. <laughs> you know, I guess we all have dementia past the age of what? Past the age of 50? <laughs> but, um, you know, um, yes, that was true. But the thing is that, uh, and just looking at myself, because I consider the book um, uh, King Al also to be in part of memoir and... Um, it took others to point that out to me at the beginning. This, this was, Ron, about yourself and your experiences too. And yes, that was true. I don't know why. Well, I, 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 I there's so many. There's, there's so many names I remember working with. You know, from Wayne Barrett, L. Caldwell, all of the others. The yes. Reporters yes. in the days when reporters met in bars and reported. 
yes, instead of yes. sending their quoting tweets and Twitter. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this reporter, in a sense, has joined up with um, Reverend Al in the sense that he cooperated with me on the, the story. And I was very grateful because I only really had a year to do it, uh, which was, you know, a challenge, you know. And at the beginning, I was saying, no, 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 I really can't do this for one I didn't really consider it my expertise. I considered my expertise in um, the political history of Black Brooklyn, because that was my, you know, 2019 book, you know, The Boss of Black Brooklyn, uh, going back into the 1920s, 30s, and, and 40s. Um, um, but I said, no, 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 I'm going to do this. And I think I have uh, the right to do it. And, and I think I'm, I'm qualified to do it. And, uh, and Reverend Al, just worked with me the whole time. Um, there were some steeped in, in politics in New York Blacks who said, yeah, yeah, well, he knows that it's to his advantage to do it. And yes, that was true. But I must say, I benefited greatly uh, also, even though I knew that the problem with him was that he, uh, you know, there's too much alliteration. He's so smooth. I mean, Cornell West called Al Sharpton a genius. He said, people don't come out and say that, but he is. He's a genius. And I mentioned it to, to a Black person who does, still does not like Al Sharpton a couple of days ago. And he says, no, the word is clever. <laughs> not a genius. Clever like a book. Uh, 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 clever. But um, he... Once again, the analogy... Won me over, won me over as, as someone who has overcome such odds and to have come out of the black Southern experience as he did and be on the top, he's on the top, you know? He's host on MSNBC. He's a revered pundit, an advisor to presidents. And, you know, the, the, the baggage he's got with him should have sunk in without trace by now. <laughs> you know, there was a time when this guy Waldorf, <clears throat> who was a black, um, state senator, one of the first in, uh, in Brooklyn, um, and was from uh, Panama and immigrated in the 60s. So uh, had an experience and background, uh, you know, not the same as Reverend Al's, who was steeped in the uh, you know, uh, South and um, you know, the, the, the racism and, and slavery uh, that was there. Walter Stewart had kind of a conversion. Now keep in mind, Walter Stewart, when I spoke with him two years ago doing the book was in his uh, 80s. But there's something I, I thought that was worth saying. And for that reason, I ended the, um, uh, the introductory, the first chapter uh, uh, with it. Um, and what he said was, uh, well, first of all, he recalled an event in uh, 1969, Al Sharpton was a teenager. He said Al Sharpton appeared and spoke to a gathering at a church in the poverty-stricken neighborhood of Brownsville. Stewart was stunned at the young man's ease with words, and he remembered the speaking talent that stuck in his memory. Stewart left the electoral politics in 1972 uh, to become a college teacher at Medgar Evers College and an activist with the International uh, uh, Methodist Church. And then I quote him, uh, and I thought this quote was a, a perfect Ending to the uh, first chapter and introduction to the rest of the, the book, because it, it almost in a way says everything. He said, there's no black man in America now who's more significant than he is, Sharpton said, uh, uh, Stewart said of Sharpton. Some question things he's done in the past, <laughs> but those are mistakes that so many, the best and most well-intentioned make. And the important thing is keeping our character sincere and being upright. 
He stood next to Barack Obama during Obama's time in office, and he shopped and rose from the ground levels of Brooklyn to the highest seats in the United States of America. Um, and I thought that was well um, put. And I would add, just to maybe add uh, an element of poetry to it, that Walter Stewart died in uh, um, last month, uh, January 1st, as a matter of fact. And um, that, uh, you know, a very touching, uh, a very touching tribute. Well, let's say, I mean, one of the things, I, I keep saying parallels with Donald Trump, except that Al Sharpton is much more intelligent and in many ways well-meaning, but they're both, they both had a talent for getting the media attention and for using for the, the catchphrase. Um, Al Sharpton much more eloquently and intelligently, but I saw him in 2004 when he was running in the primaries for the president. And if you didn't know his past, he was the most impressive of the candidates I spoke to. He was one of the few who was willing to say what the issues were and address them instead of waffle around them. So, you know, I was impressed with him then, even though I knew about all the dubiety. Hell, it was some of my friends who were doing the exposure on the, uh, on, 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 yes. on the FBI case. Uh, yes. So I was under no illusions, but he was a very impressive figure. And um, the fact that he's up there at MSNBC and you, you almost wonder who's behind him. You know, you begin to think deep state paranoia. <laughs> uh, we have a question from Simon Locke. What's the lessons from coverage of Al Sharpton for media covering black leaders today, as well as the black owned media? I mean, uh, are these, uh, are people getting a pass or, or, or are they still getting extra harsh scrutiny and that uh, what would be a dismissed as a peccadillo by a white uh, politician is headline news for a black politician, for example? Um, I mean, which would have been the case years ago, you said with uh, yeah. Reverend Al. Um, it is um, that it, it is, you know, it's certainly um, in the interest of reporters today to have a connection to Reverend Al. Um, and the fact is that so much that did happen receded into the um, our collective memory and it's the past and I am. Um, I began to feel a little guilty myself about even raising some of these things because there were people who were challenging me as I was writing the, the book for, um, you know, for um, uh, doing it. Um, but the fact is that, um, and I sometimes wonder what this is all going to uh, lead to with Reverend Al. Um, there are some maybe who be wondering, well, where is the, um, you know, the misstep going to uh, come from? When is it going to happen? Um, and how long has it been now? And uh, it has not. So I could not give a definitive answer on whether, although it seems to be a combination of his, let's call it genius and give uh, uh, Cornell West his due in his characterization of, of Reverend Al, or the tendency of journalists to um, kind of go with the flow. Um, I mean, because we saw that happen even in the, the 1980s, when um, Reverend Al became very close to Mike McAlary, who wrote, he was the first one, uh, he did the story saying that the, um, the feds had a, a bugged phone in Reverend Al's uh, office, and that was in uh, 1988. And um, McAlary was a, of your classic Irish mafia type reporter. From yeah, way yeah, back. Classic. <laughs> 
boy and he was he knew the cops and then he was always having breaking stories about the in fact there are some who will say without some legitimacy that it was because of Tawana Brawley and, and McAleary's connection to uh, the police and to law enforcement types, uh, local and federal, that they reached out to him and said, listen, we're going to uh, put an end to this Al Sharpton and came out with that uh, FBI story, which made a lot of sense. And there are people at the Village Voice who were at the Village Voice. I don't want to name names. Some of them, you know, still around who will say that, that, um, that um you know i don't know whether you know those who worked with mike would say it um they would concede i guess that uh it was law enforcement types that uh leaked it to him but that the goal that the goal was to uh end this guy uh to uh, uh, in, uh you know just you know mouthing off about uh, the tuana broly episode once and for all and his uh teammates uh uh, Alton Maddox and, and Seam Vernon Mason, um, that maybe that was the uh, the motivation. But in any event, uh, it's clear that it did not happen. But the point I wanted to make about uh, Reverend Al's relationship with um, McAleary was that they got along very, very well. And after Sharpton got stabbed, who went to the hospital to visit Reverend Al? Mike McAleary. Um, and when McAleary was sick, hospitalized after this serious uh, car accident, uh, that he had uh, uh, a couple of years after, um, Sharpton went to see him and pay his uh, respects. And so I think in some ways that's very typical of the of the press, you know, sort of courting your sources. And who's a better source now in the Black community than um, uh, Reverend Al Sharpton, you know, being, um, you know, at the, at the very top. Um, so I, I hope that uh, answered some of the question. If, if Simon Locke wants to, um, you know, follow up on it, please do, or you tell me, um, Ian, uh, mm -hmm. whether it needs to be, um, you know, pursued a little bit more. Um, the environment in many ways is the same. Well, somebody also points out in terms of deja vu all over again, um, the case in Connecticut with uh, Lauren Smith Fields and the date the murder that was ignored for several weeks. Ah, uh, uh, yes. I mean, that's the whole uh, point, really. You know, and and then came up the the Me Too uh, movement, which was started by uh, you know a black woman uh, who's based here in Brooklyn. As a matter of fact, you know, uh, all things uh, center on Brooklyn. I I like to say, <laughs> uh, but that's um, that's true. That has not changed i um i don't believe and um and it's pointed out um although it's often challenged now what's changed so notably in um new york city and the country is that you know whereas in the 1980s and even 90s we were seen as a black and white city and country uh it's much more complicated uh now and there are so many people who identify as neither um you know and there was a time if you were biracial but appeared to be white then you have had to you know pretend to be white and then uh, just the um explosion in immigration from uh, latin america who was just that's just made it um um 
but yes, the uh, abuses of uh, women of color um, and, and the ignoring of their plight uh, continues. Um, and it's around the country and it's, and it's here in, in uh, New York and, and Connecticut. And that was a very, very sad story. It's, it's you know, hard to believe that it would happen in this day uh, and age, but it, it did. And it is more likely to happen, of course, in Connecticut uh, than, uh, than New York City. Uh, I was talking, I was talking to students recently about um, Reuben Carter and Hurricane. And we read Hurricane as a poem, the Bob Dylan song. Uh, and honestly, you would not think there was an instance between Black Lives Matter now, the situation, and 50 years ago when Reuben Carter was picked up and framed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I mean, as Bob Dylan said, if you're a black, then you shouldn't just, you just shouldn't show on the streets at night. Yeah. And, and, the police and, and, and the, all oh, across yeah. the country were coming in. I don't think it's that the incidents have increased. It's that these incidents are now being, the one small progress are being reported for the first time instead of being taken for granted. That's just the way things go. That's the Bob Dylan line. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, has there been progress? Personally, I was looking at them in a question. I mean, you look at what we have here now in New York City. Um, I would have a hard time saying no, uh, given the, um, the leadership, elected leadership in New York City. I mean, I still have this kind of ingrained journalist um, lack of, of faith in politicians and elected. And, and with me, in some respects, it's uh, Freudian because I grew up in the home of the, the first black elected official in Brooklyn, his assemblyman. Um, but, um, you know, the black mayor, public advocate, the attorney general, um, all of the, I mean, there are more black elected officials in, in New York City than I think any locality in. Uh, but there are still more black prisoners in Rikers Island than there are more. Yes, so, yes. But you, but you might say there. that there's hope. Uh, and that's what I say that, um, you know, the Bible says, you know, faith, hope and love. And the greatest of these is, is love. And I always say, no, the greatest of these is hope, you know, because we need a reason to have uh, Hope, and there are times I think we can get it from, um, and this could open up to some uh, heated uh, debate, but with Eric Adams, the thing to keep in mind about Eric Adams is, Eric Adams was on the board of the National Action Network. On the first, in 1991, when Sharpton started the National Action Network. Isn't that um, incredible in itself? Isn't that, I mean, that's just, a, you know, and so it's trajectory. Ru Rudy Giuliani was the mayor, and now he's the national, the national clown and jester. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, you know what? What a story! I just couldn't believe it. Sharpton and I was surprised, but pleased and grateful that Sharpton invited me to the. Um, uh, that would have been the thirtieth anniversary uh, gathering at Carnegie Hall of the National Action Network um, last year. 
And it was also Reverend Al's um, 67th birthday that they were celebrating uh, together. Um, I was stunned uh, by being there, you know, and I, you know, at first I was thinking, well, maybe you should promote the book, you know, but that wasn't gonna. <laughs> You should always promote your books. It's, it's huh? the, the law. You should always promote your books. It's the law, because <laughs> the publishers won't. <laughs> um, no, but I mean, maybe uh, Reverend Al should say something about it, but that wasn't going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. But um, to be there, it took my breath away, you know, and, uh, you know, who is this person who uh, came from there, pointing to the past to, to here? Um, and you know who gave the um, opening um, address via Zoom? Kamala Harris, live, Kamala Harris. And uh, who was there, uh, Hochul, um, to James, all of the state and local elected officials and who showed up, you know, uh, and walked up to the stage towards the end Eric Adams. And believe it or not, it was the night before the general election, the night before the election. And he decides he has to show up, uh, Eric Adams. So what does that say about um, Al Sharpton's influence and his influence now? Um, as I said, it, it's a story for the ages. It's a story of our land, of our generation, but it's a story of Black America and um, coming out of slavery and, and Sharpton's background is steeped in um, uh, slavery because they come from the, the South, what uh, uh, Alabama and, and Florida. Um, and as I said, you know, it could be, um, you know, 700 pages if you wanted to tell the, the whole tale and, and, and go back to- I'm torn yeah. about whether it's more difficult for, um foreigners coming in here to appreciate the indelible effects of those centuries of experience in the South on the community, or the fact that the so many Americans don't get it at all. They don't see that there's a separate one. And they say, why are these people holding grudges? You know, these people, uh, why are they still holding grudges? Why can't they let bygones be bygones? And, that type of stuff. So you have multiple blindnesses about this, but um, Al keeps bringing us back to the central experience, doesn't he? Yes, he does. And, uh, you know, I, I, I sometimes said when I approached Al, Reverend Al about it was that what connected me to him was being that, that we were black Brooklynites, both of us born and raised. Reverend Al, several years uh, younger, um, but that was very meaningful to me. And I walk around Brooklyn now and I see, even though I've traveled around, I've lived around, but, but black Brooklyn is still in me. And I see guys, you know, I walk towards Prospect Park and see black guys pulling down their pants to defecate. And I almost want to break out in tears. Um, and you see it in the subways and it's just there and it's, it, it's clear that it's a continuation of and talking to themselves and, and shouting out and it's related to so many things and it's related to, you know, um, uh, Rikers Island um, and it's related to the disparities that we see in, in education, everything, and they have to come to grips with it. And the hope is that um, 
by controlling, you know, the Department of Education and having a, 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 a deep sensitivity to all that, that I'm expecting, again, hoping that, um, that uh, Eric Adams together with Sharpton and others do, that there's gonna be at least soon uh, a visible modicum of um, change. I, I, there's something I wanted to um, say before I departed and we are approaching- a, Yes, we're getting closer. Yeah, um, was that there's kind of a bifurcation there. I mean, I identify as an offspring of Caribbean uh, immigrants, immigrants from the British West Indies. In my book about Bertram Baker, the boss of Black Brooklyn, uh, he came from Nevis and he immigrated here as a British citizen and he spoke like a Brit, you know. Um, he went to, um, you know, private school, uh, uh, St. Kitts and, and Nevis. And, uh, and I, in the last uh, 20 years, became a citizen of St. Kitts and Nevis uh, to hold on to some family uh, uh, property. Um, but the experiences were, in some ways, were very, very, um, different. Um, and the first Black elected officials um, disproportionately were from the West Indies. In, 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 a, lot uh, of, a lot of the Black businessmen, successful business people. Yes, realtors from the West in, in Brooklyn were from Barbados, that is the, yeah. the island that, that really stood out. Um, but I came up when there was starting to be kind of a, a merger because the, the, the migration from the South really intensified in the 50s and 60s. And that's when Sharpton's parents came. And I think of my best friends that I grew up with um, and uh, who were from the South. And in some ways it was new to me because my grandparents who I grew up with, I grew up with my grandfather who was from Nevis and my grandmother who was born in Brooklyn 1901, but two uh, immigrants from, um, from Nevis. Uh, and they very much identified as um, as form, former uh, British, but I identify. I came to, as a black American, and there have been there's been a book. Mary Waters, her name is a Harvard professor who's white, and said that's the difference between the offspring of black immigrants and the offspring of the Italians and the Irish, especially Irish. The offspring of the Irish can what became president of the United States. She said the offspring of the black immigrants become black Americans with all the baggage that that carries. And I just think of my friends who wound up addicted to heroin and killed and murdered at an early um, age. And to that extent, I identified with Reverend Al. And I think he understood that uh, about me. And that was one of the reasons I hope, in addition to his you know, ability just to um, partner with the press, but that, that connected us, that black Brooklyn uh, connection. Well, I think you really pulled it together in those last few um, statements, uh, you know, as a white working class British who was always treated as a suspicious because I had a Liverpool accent <laughs> when I went to London. Um, a, a similar, but nowhere near as intense experience. But uh, thank you, everyone. This is Ian Williams from the Foreign Press Association. I've been talking to Ron Howell, who has been eloquently explaining why we neglect Al Sharpton as our peril and history and uh, yes he might be a sort of um, separated at birth from Donald Trump but he's a much nicer version of it <laughs> and uh, uh, what, following on the same train in fact we have uh, tentatively booked we haven't got the date yet uh, for uh, the editor of Amsterdam News to come up and Eleanor Tatum, Ellie Tatum uh, who's it's one of the 
surviving. In fact, you could almost say there's one of the surviving press because there's not that many newspapers left, but a, a surviving black newspaper, it's, it's in double jeopardy. And uh, she's agreed to come on, we're doing that. And then, as they said, there's a British television programme, and now for something completely different. Next Thursday, the same time, we have none other than John Bolton explaining East, well, explaining his views on Eastern Europe and Biden. And um, once again, a person who's often neglected, but has got so, uh, considerable depth, which doesn't mean to say you have to agree with him, but it's the same with, with Al Sharpton. <laughs> I wanted to, to say before I uh, left that he, he wouldn't remember me, Brad, but he was in my class in college at Yale, a class of 1970. John yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, he's... Um... Leave it at that. <laughs> Well, he's, once again, I think he is a working class kid made good. You know, he was not, he was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's tried hard to put one in it since perhaps, but he, he never, he didn't start off with it like you and me. So thank you very much, everybody. This is Ian Williams again, Foreign Press Association. Next Thursday, we have, um, we have John Bolton. Later in the week, we have uh, Ellie Tatum from the Amsterdam News. And of course, all of the time we have these programs, we invite you to join the Foreign Press Association. You can find the details or almost as good. And we invite you to donate to help our work as we come out of the COVID period, um, like everybody else attenuated and wondering where the hell we've been for two years. So thanks very much. I hope to see you soon in one of these bars in Harlem, Ron, since I'm up here. Now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I give up. Would you for drinks? <laughs> you did? Oh, well. <laughs> That's a mistake. Okay, well, thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. You Bye. Yeah. Bye. Okay, Ron, I can still see you. We'll have to have that drink. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. People sometimes seem surprised when I ask for a non-alcoholic beer, but the urge for beer is still with me. <laughs> I, st I stopped drinking. When I first came to the States, I was on the wagon. I'd stopped for eight years. I developed an allergy to alcohol. Oh. oh. But you can get over it.